All right. Hey, thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Good morning. You know it's going to be a good morning when there's an object yes. lesson involved. You know what I mean? Welcome. So glad you guys are here at the 930 a.m. service. Now, if you've been with us for the past couple of months, of course, we've been working through the book of Job. And Job is this incredible story of a man who went through a dark, dark season of life, and it was through no fault of his own. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't do anything to bring it upon himself, and yet he still suffered. And we talked about God's faithfulness through all of that difficult season and dark times and stuff. But it left me thinking at the end of that series, what if you're going through a dark season? What if you're going through a difficult time in life and it is your fault? What if it's your responsibility? You have brought the the difficulty and, and the circumstances upon yourself that you're experiencing. Perhaps you You made a sinful choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, let's just be real. No Christian is perfect. And so perhaps you were faced with an opportunity and you thought to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And you knew it was wrong and you knew it was going to be unhelpful and you knew it was going to have consequences. But in the moment, you just said, I don't really care. Or maybe it wasn't a sinful choice, you know? Maybe it was just one of those unwise choices. I don't know if you've ever made an unwise choice in your life. I certainly have. You had no ill intentions. There was no evil or sinful motive behind it, but you made a decision and it turned out to be the wrong one. You made a choice and it was like, ooh, if I could go back, I would definitely have chosen a little bit differently. And so in these circumstances, you might find yourself worried, concerned about your future prospects, right? You're worried now like, Who's going to hire me after this decision? Or who's going to want to marry me knowing what I, what I got into? Nobody's going to want to be my friend. If they really knew the, the me, the actual me, ugh, nobody would want anything to do with me. You might be afraid that you've ruined the dream that you've always had. You know, this choice, again, whether intentional or not, has compromised the future that you always saw for yourself. Or maybe more in the spiritual realm, you're afraid that because of your choice, God wants nothing to do with you now. That this is a sin that is so significant or it's so grievous that you are outside the bounds of God's mercy and love at this point. Partially because you chose it, you knew what you were doing, you did it willingly. God's like, oh, you're on your own. I tried to warn you and now you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Or perhaps this is a sin that has beset you for many years and you find yourself struggling and fighting this battle again and again and you take two steps forward and then you take three steps back and you feel like God's got to be so sick of me coming to him and say, would you forgive me again? I know last time I said was going to be the last time, but here I am and I need you, God. You're just afraid that because this is a, a pattern because it's a habit, because it's something that has continued to to dog you for years, that at this point, you're out of luck. There is no mercy. There's no grace. There's no opportunity left for you. Now, I understand this may not be everybody's current situation, okay? You may be like, actually, I'm good, Dan. I feel like I've made some pretty good choices lately. Yeah, Uh, I haven't like willfully sinned. I haven't been involved in anything that I'm ashamed of or worried about God discovering. I'm feeling really good. And I get it. This message may not be for everybody in the room today, but it might be for you tomorrow. (laughs) We are one unwise choice away from needing this reminder, okay? So even if you say, I don't know, Dan, you're not describing my situation today, you might be a lot closer than you think. So I've got some good news for you. There is hope in the darkness. 
When you find yourself in these circumstances and just you're afraid that you've compromised God's best for you. You're worried that God has, has abandoned you or pushed you away because you've made decisions that you know have created distance between you and him. I want to remind you from the promises of the scripture that there is always hope in the darkness, that God's mercy is always greater than our mistakes. I don't know if you need that reminder, but I need it basically every single day. So what I want to do today is I actually want to share with you three stories from the early part of the book of Genesis. These three stories are uh, sequential. They happen one right after another. So we're going to talk briefly about all three. We can put them here on the screen for you. In each of these three stories, the people involved made bad decisions. They sinned. They stepped outside the bounds of what God had intended. And because of that, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of their actions. Everything that happens is their fault. This is not like Job, where he was an innocent guy that suffered without deserving it. Each of these people had a hand in bringing about their circumstances. But what we're going to discover is that there is also a pattern that is present in all three of these stories. And it's not just these three stories. In fact, if you were to go throughout the New Testament, you are uh, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you would discover that this, pre this pattern is present an awful lot. Like this same thing plays out throughout many different stories in the Bible. And I want you to understand this pattern actually plays out in our lives today. This pattern is what represents the good news that we need to be reminded of. So here's how the pattern works. And I'm going to show you how it's present in each one of these stories. The pattern starts with sin. After sin, it moves to consequence. And before the consequence is carried out, before they have to deal with the results and the consequences of their choices, there is a moment, or we might call a token of God's grace. There is a little hint there is a little piece of mercy and grace from God that says, although you have sinned and although there are going to be consequences for your sin, I want you to know that I am still present with you. I'm still for you. I still love you and I'm still gonna take care of you. So we read this story of Adam and Eve and in um, Genesis chapter number three, we read the stories of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter number four, Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter number six. And in every single one of these circumstances, it starts with a sin. It starts with a choice to do the wrong thing. So of course, we're all familiar with Adam and Eve's story, right? They're placed in the garden. God says, you guys can enjoy everything that's here in this garden, except for one thing. You can't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So like anything else is okay. They had one rule, you guys, one job. Just don't eat this one fruit. But of course, we read in Genesis chapter number three, they committed the sin of disobeying God and eating the fruit. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, what's the big deal about eating fruit? Come on, it's an apple for goodness sake. They're delicious, right? A, the Bible never says it was an apple. But B, this wasn't really about the fruit. This was about disobedience. 
This was about a lack of trust. You know, God said to them, don't eat of this fruit. Then the serpent shows up and the serpent tells them, "Mm, did God really say that? You know what God knows? If you eat the fruit, you will be like him. You will be able to decide what is good and what is bad. He doesn't want you to have that freedom. He doesn't want you to have that autonomy. And so they chose in the moment to to decide for themselves what was good and what was bad instead of trusting what God said was good and bad. So Adam and Eve, their sin, let's put it on the screen, was eating of the fruit. Cain and Abel, we have this story. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's sons, right? So this is the second generation of people in the book of Genesis. And Abel and Cain are making offerings to God. Uh, Abel makes a, a good and acceptable offering. Cain cheaps out. He gives God less than what he should have. So God confronts him and says, hey, buddy, you know that you didn't make the right offering here. And so I'm going to give you another chance. Why don't you go back, do what your brother did. Give me the best that you have. Give me the offering that you're supposed to. And rather than Cain saying, all right, you got me. Here you go, God, and giving him the best, he kills his brother. We went from gluttony to murder in the space of like 15 verses, you guys. Like this escalated very, very quickly. This is a very significant and serious situation. And then of course, by the time we get to Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter number six, it's not just one man that is full of violence and hatred for his fellow human beings. The Bible tells us it's basically all of humanity at this point, that the world is full of evil and full of hatred and full of violence. And so every single person on the planet, except for this one guy and his family, is guilty of committing the sin. So it always begins with sin. Let's talk about sin for just a moment. Because like, isn't sin one of those old-fashioned concepts? Isn't it kind of judgmental? Isn't it kind of arrogant for us to look at anybody else and to call something sin? Who am I to say what is sin? What is this book to say what is right or what is wrong? People decide what's right and what's wrong, and our society at large has chosen to believe this is good, this is bad, or whatever. Who are we to even talk about sin in the 21st century? Well, a lot of people have a, a misconception about what sin is. We think about sin as basically being transgressing God's law, breaking the rules. And that's certainly an element. But can I tell you from the scriptural perspective, sin is a much more interesting concept. In the New Testament, if we talk about what sin means and how it's described and defined in the New Testament, it's actually described as an archery term. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. This came from our youth group storage. I don't know what they are up to on Wednesday nights that they're throwing axes and stuff like that, but it looks like they're having a lot of fun. So our youth group kicks back up in September. You want your teenagers here, but I'm glad that they had this so we could kind of use this illustration. Sin in the, in the New Testament is an archery term, and it means this. It's very simple, to miss the mark to miss the mark. So essentially imagine that I've got a bow and arrow. I'm not because, you know, I don't want to put anybody at risk, but let's say I've got a bow and arrow and I'm going to aim at the target. I'm going to try to hit it. Of course, what am I aiming for? I'm aiming for the bullseye. This is the mark. This is what, this is what is ideal. This is the win. This is the goal. But because I'm not very good with a bow and arrow, I might end up hitting in the white or the blue or way out here in the gray. Sin is simply missing the mark. God gives us his ideal. Maybe uh, one example of this is God says he wants us to treat one another with 
kindness, right? He wants us to be kind to one another. But because we are sinners, because we miss the mark, sometimes we're not kind, sometimes we're jerks. We've missed the mark. If I lose my temper, if I snap at somebody, I have missed the mark that God has intended for me. My arrow is off. Somehow I have gotten away from God's best and his target. Now understand this, sin can be either intentional or unintentional. We often think sin is like a willful decision. I knew where the target was and I chose to do that. Well, that's part of it. But sin can also be unintentional. In the Old Testament, when God required his people to make sacrifices for their sins, like literal animal sacrifices, there were different types of sacrifices. And one category of sacrifice was for willful sin. Like you knew what you was doing and you went ahead and did it anyway. And so now you have to make a sin for that. There was another type of sacrifice that that was for unintentional sin. It was accidental. You didn't mean to step over the line, but somehow you did. You didn't mean to lose your temper, but you ended up doing it. And so there was a, a, a type of sacrifice that was for that. So sin can either be unintentional or it can be intentional. But here's the thing. It's always harmful. Sin is always harmful. This is the reason that God takes sin so seriously. It's not because he's a buzzkill. It's not because he's the cosmic policeman and he wants to make sure that everybody is on the nice list and not the naughty list. It's not that. The consequences of sin are always harmful, harmful to ourselves and harmful to other people. So imagine that we're, we're doing this full-on demonstration where I have an actual bow and arrow and I'm shooting at the target. Now, if I miss right now, the consequences are relatively small, Right? because it's just gonna go right into the drywall. I'm gonna have to pay somebody to come and repatch it and all that sort of stuff. But imagine that I took the target and I aimed it like this. And now I stood back and I drew back my arrow. The consequences of missing the mark are much more significant. This side of the room is under threat. <laughs> Actually, because I'm so bad with a bow and arrow, this side of the room is also under threat. So when we miss the mark, we actually run the risk. Even more than that, we very often end up hurting the people around us. It's not merely that, oh, we stepped over some arbitrary line. No, sin always hurts. It hurts the people around us. Hey, it hurts us as well. Can I just be real with you? Sometimes I am so dumb. <laughs> that it's like I shot an arrow up in the air. I missed the mark that bad. And it goes up, 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 up and I forget all about it. And then it comes right back down on top of me. Sin is always harmful. And so God talks about sin seriously because the consequences of sin are so very serious. Sin is always harmful. Sin's a problem for everybody. You know, sin is a problem for non-religious people and for religious people. You realize that. We're all guilty of sin. There's not a single one of us that doesn't struggle with this. Oftentimes, religious people will present themselves as no longer being a sinner. I don't struggle anymore, thank you very much. Well, come on now, let's be real here. The entire gospel is predicated on the fact that we are sinners and that we need to be forgiven and rescued from our sin. So we've got to be very careful that we don't ever present ourselves to the world as, as perfect. Instead, we are forgiven. That is the only difference. Very often, non-religious people will say, well, I don't have any sin, okay? 
And if I did, you're not the one to talk about it. I get it. But sin is a problem for every single person. And we see the consequences and effects all around us. I don't know why we deny this. Romans chapter number three, verse 23 says this. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. Do you realize this? I am a sinner. There is every possibility that I am the chief sinner in the room right now. Your wonderful, lovely grandma is a sinner. The Pope is a sinner. Every person on the planet falls short of God's glorious standard. In 1 John chapter number 1, verse 8, we read, if we claim we have no sin, then we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. So we have to acknowledge that sin is not just a problem for these people way back in time in the Old Testament. It's not merely some old-fashioned concept that we need to, to just move away from and we need to develop more modern sensibilities about. No, sin is a very real thing and it has very real consequences. In fact, every single person from the most liberal atheist to the most conservative Christian, we all have a list of sins that we believe is right and wrong. I'm not going to bother enumerating them, but talk to one of these people on either end of the, the polar spectrum here, and you will discover very quickly what they believe to be sin, what they believe to be right and wrong, what they believe to be inside the bounds or outside of the bounds. So sin is a reality. And sin is always harmful. It always brings about consequences. Speaking of the consequences, let me walk you through the consequences that these three groups of people experienced here in uh, the first chapters of Genesis. So we find that after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they experienced death, like literally spiritual death in the moment and physical death in the long term. Again, you might be looking at that and you're like, wow, God is really harsh. Like they died because they ate a fruit. Remember, this is not about the fruit. This is about trusting the father. When Cain kills his brother, uh, God confronts him. And he says, what have you done? The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. And so God says, as consequence, as punishment, you are going to be exiled. You're going to be sent out from your family. You're going to be sent out from the community. And you have to understand, like in his day, that represented a very grave threat. To be on your own in the ancient world meant that you were vulnerable every moment of the day. Cain actually acknowledges this. And he says to God, God, this punishment is too great for me to bear. If I go out from the community, anybody who sees me is going to return to me what I did to my brother. They're going to kill me as quickly as they possibly can. You've essentially given me a death sentence. Why not just kill me right now instead of exiling me instead? Noah and the flood. Because mankind's wickedness, our evil, our violence, our hatred towards one another, because it had expanded, it had multiplied, it had filled the entire earth, God says the consequence is going to be a flood, a decreation, a recreating, and a restart of everything that happens. There are always consequences to our sins. We're going to talk in a moment about how in Jesus, thank God, all of our sins have been forgiven. That does not mean that we are freed from all the consequences of our sins. You might sin and experience some consequence and think, oh, well, I guess God hasn't forgiven me. Well, that's not true. You're simply dealing with the consequences that you have brought about. Now, you might ask the question, but why does God have to punish this sort of stuff? You know what I mean? Like, couldn't he just forgive and forget? Couldn't he just say, oh, all right, we won't worry so much about that, you little rapscallion. 
I don't know who says rapscallion anymore. I don't even know where that came from. That was somewhere deep in my vocabulary, and I pulled that out. Um, anyway, God's just like, you know, this, this doesn't matter. Uh, actually, the New Testament uses a phrase that I think is really interesting. It talks about the idea that some people wish God would wink at sin. Just like, all right, don't worry about it. So why? Why is it that God, why is it that there is punishment? Why is it there is consequences? If God is good and he loves us so much, then why isn't it that he wouldn't simply free us from the punishment, free us from the consequences? Remember, sin is always harmful. It always wounds. It always destroys. And so it has to be addressed. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be overlooked. If it is, God is not just. He's not a good God if he doesn't punish evil. He's not a, a trustworthy father if he just lets people run around and do anything they want, causing great harm and hurt to one another. We know this intuitively. Like nobody thinks that if a, if a criminal commits a crime in our world, that we should wink at it. We're like, you, come on, man. All right, keep the money. Don't worry about it. It's okay. No, of course not. If somebody breaks into your car, and they rob your sunglasses, and you're like, dang it, I left my wallet in there last night. They take your wallet. You're not like, ah, forgive and forget. Let's just move on. No, you want there to be consequences. You want them to pay you back. You want them maybe even to, to be punished. They, maybe they need to do some community service or sit in a jail cell for a little while. We know intuitively that sin always has consequences and consequences need to happen in order for justice to be done, in order for our world to be the place that it should be. We also know this is true with our kids. You know that when your kids get out of line, if you simply forgive and forget, if you wink at their misbehavior, if you pretend like it's no big deal, if you never let them experience the consequences of what they've done, they are going to grow up to be worse and worse and worse. They will be spoiled little boogers and their teachers will not be happy with you for not letting them experience the consequences. And all the teachers are nodding their heads so strongly right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sin always has consequences and the consequences are necessary to make sure that they don't happen again, or that people learn from their mistakes. And even when, even when we get into situations and circumstances in which we could wave a magic wand and we could simply say, you know what, forgive and forget. We're just going to pretend like it never happened. We're going to move on with a fresh start. Do you realize even in those circumstances, the consequences still remain? They're going to be there. So like imagine a wife that has an affair. She commits adultery. And the husband says, you know what? Wave the magic wand. We're going to forgive and forget. We're going to move on. Do the consequences of her actions really go away? No, they're still going to play out. There's still going to be issues that creep up and crop up. Let's suppose there's a husband and he's got a secret gambling addiction. And, and he racks up tons and tons of debt and the wife doesn't discover it until much later. And then when she does, she says, you know what? I forgive you but they still have to deal with the consequences of his decisions. So the consequences, even if we could simply forgive and then try to move forward, the consequences do not go away. So God can't merely wave a magic wand and say, you know what, forget about this because there are still hurting people that are left behind as a result of the sin. 
James chapter number one, verse 15 says, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. In Romans 6.23, we read the consequences, the wages, the payment, the result of sin is always ultimately death. It is destruction. Sin never blesses, never benefits in the long run. So we have sin, it's a reality for all of us. We have consequences. We can't evade them and escape them forever. But thanks be to God, every single time that we sin, before we have to suffer the consequences, there is always a measure, there is always the presence of God's mercy and his grace in our circumstances. Let me show you where this is found in these three stories and then maybe we can talk about our own. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, they're exiled from the garden, they experience uh, spiritual and physical death. Also, the scriptures tell us for the first time they realize that they are naked and they feel shame over their nakedness. And so in Genesis chapter number three, verse 21, we read this really interesting line. Like just read it in context and it almost seems to come out of left field. The scripture says, before God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he made for them clothes out of animal skins to cover their shame. It's a little token of his grace. He says to them, you guys will deal with the consequences of what you've done but I'm not gonna let you go out there all alone. I'm not gonna leave you unprotected. I'm not gonna leave you exposed. It is a little bit of kindness. Understand that if God had no intention of helping or saving them, if he had no plans to be with them moving forward, then there is no reason for him to give them clothes. This is, noth- this is, uh, this is a sign of his ongoing love and mercy for his creation. It is a token of his grace, a reminder that despite their sin, and they sinned in the biggest way imaginable, that he still loves them. He still has plans in the future for them, and he is going to ensure that they are taken care of. We see it with Cain and Abel. So Cain kills his brother Abel. God says, you're gonna be exiled. Uh, Cain is like, no way, everybody's gonna kill me the moment I leave this, the, the town and the city. Uh, this is a death sentence. And so the scripture says that God puts a mark on Cain. Chapter number four, verse 15, he puts a mark on Cain so that people will see him and know that he has been protected in some certain way by God, that they are not to execute uh, judgment or retaliation against him. Now, I want to be really clear here. Um, We have no clue what this mark was, okay? Birthmark sort of thing. We have no clue what this was, but it was some way of identifying and even protecting Cain. Now, there's a part of me that's like, God, why would you protect Cain? (laughs) If anybody in these stories deserves what they get, it's this guy. You know what I mean? He murdered his brother because he couldn't bring the offering he was supposed to. Oh my goodness. And yet in God's mercy and grace, he looks on sinful people and he says, I'm still gonna give you a token of my favor. I'm still gonna show you that you haven't gone too far yet. Even committing the worst sins imaginable, there is still hope for redemption for you. And so he puts a mark on Cain that protects Cain throughout the rest of his life. And then in Noah and the flood, of course, we've got all the people who are rebelling. We've got the the consequence or the judgment of the flood that's coming, but there's a token of grace there. There is an ark, a boat that's built, and humanity is gonna be saved through one man and his extended family. Every time we sin, there will be consequences. 
But if you look, if you pay attention, there will be a token of God's grace and his favor reminding you that yes, you are a sinner and you are loved and covered by his mercy and grace. Man, to me, this is just such a beautiful thought that our consequences are measured with God's kindness. That our mistakes are met with his mercy. Oh, in Nehemiah chapter number nine, there's a recounting of the Israelites and how they left Egyptian slavery in the book of Exodus and God freed them. He delivered them. They went through the Red Sea. They were wandering in the wilderness before they went to the promised land. And then they started to think, man, this is kind of miserable. Actually, it wouldn't be so bad if we were back in Egypt. It might even be better. And so in recounting the story, listen to what Nehemiah 9:17 says. The people refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them so they became stubborn and even returned or even tried to return to their old lives Woo! i know a lot of christians that have experienced this temptation it's like oh this is a lot harder than i thought it was going to be and i'm not as good at this following jesus thing as i expected i was going to be so it would just be easier if i went back to my old way of life why because i know how to do that i i know how to do all of that so the scripture says they became stubborn and even tried to return to their old lives. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You did not forsake them. God didn't forsake Adam and Eve. He didn't forsake Cain. He didn't forsake Noah. He didn't forsake the Israelites. He doesn't forsake us either. Every time we sin, there are consequences that we're gonna have to deal with. God's mercy and grace doesn't mean that you won't have to deal with the fallout of your decisions. But God will always remind you that his mercy and grace is present with you. And no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how many times you've committed this mistake, you can always return to him and receive his loving kindness in your life. So let me leave you with two quick principles here. Things to remember based on what we've read. First, God's mercy is greater than our mistakes. God's mercy is greater than our mistakes. In Romans chapter number five, verse 20, we read this, this scripture. Where sin increases, grace overflows. Oh, that's beautiful, you guys. I love this. Check out what happens here. So in the Greek, in, in the way that Paul is writing, okay? He says, where sin increases, the word increase, okay? He says, grace overflows. What he does is, he takes the exact same word, increase and overflow, same root word, but in the second instance where he's talking about grace, he adds a prefix to it, a Greek prefix that you're very familiar with because it's a similar prefix, same prefix that we have in English. It's the prefix hyper. He literally says where sin increases, grace hyper increases. Anytime we sin, there is more than enough grace to cover that sin. Any mistake we make, there is more than enough of God's mercy to redeem it. No matter how far we go, no matter how deep we find ourselves in a pit of our own digging, the arm of the Lord is not too short to reach down and to pick us up, 
to pull us out of the miry clay and to set our feet on solid ground where sin increases, grace overflows. It abounds. It's greater than anything we might find ourselves in. That's good news. That's a reminder, maybe an encouragement and an invitation to some of you, some of you that are here in the room right now. Now for others, you might be thinking, well, hey, uh, if I can't out God's grace, then maybe I should just sin because he's going to forgive me anyway, right? In fact, like if God's grace is such a good thing, maybe the more I sin, the more grace God has to give. So the greater God is. Paul actually addresses this argument in Romans chapter number six. He says, what? Should we continue to sin because we know that grace is going to abound? God forbid. This is strong language. He's like, heck freaking no. That's a bad idea. Why? Not because you're ever going to find yourself outside of God's mercy and grace, but because there are going to continue to be consequences that you're going to have to pay. And God wants to save you from the penalty of those consequences. He wants to save you from the hard times that you're bringing upon yourself. So this is not about putting yourself outside of his mercy and grace. It is about recognizing that his grace will reach you wherever you're at. His desire is for you to experience life in abundance, life holy, life complete in Christ. God's mercy is greater than all our mistakes. The second and last thing I'll tell you is that sin does not need to be corrected. It needs to be confessed. So we get kind of this, I don't know, man, religious people do this, non-religious. It's like a human condition kind of thing, right? We believe that when I've sinned, I correct my mistakes. I correct my sin. I answer, I pay for my sin. And then I find myself back on the right side of the line. I've got to make it right. But this is not how the gospel works. The gospel says you can't make it right. You can't make yourself right. But God will put you right if you're willing to confess your sins. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Literally everything. Murder, gluttony, violence, hatred, any of it. God is able to forgive it. He is able to redeem and restore. The only thing that you have to do is confess it. If you try to correct it, if you try to make up for it, you're going to find yourself in a deeper hole. Instead, what he calls us to do is to confess, to acknowledge, to admit, God, I have sinned. I have missed the mark. I realize that now. Maybe you did it intentionally. Maybe it was accidental. But regardless, the the path forward, the solution out of it, whatever it is, is confession and then receiving God's forgiveness and his grace in your life. So I'm gonna invite everybody here to bow your heads, close your eyes. And here's the truth, because sin is a problem for all of us. We all have sin in our hearts today that we ought to confess. And so I'm going to give you just a moment between you and the Lord. I'm going to ask you to search your own heart. Whatever the Spirit might bring to your memory in this moment, 
Would you use this as an opportunity to expose that, to confess that to the Lord? You're not gonna turn to your neighbor and tell them what's going on, okay? This is just between you and the Spirit. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God, today we confess our sins to you. We acknowledge that we miss the mark, not just like daily, but hourly, moment by moment, God. It's so easy for us to get off course. It's so easy for us to miss the target. And in doing so, God, we know that we, we wound the people around us. We damage ourselves. We distance ourselves from you. And so we apologize. We, we confess and we repent we turn our sin over to you and we pray through the, the shed blood of Jesus forgiveness over every sin, big and small in the room today. And I pray, God, that we would take the words of Romans chapter number six to heart, that we have been freed from the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to our old nature, but that, God, we are now slaves to righteousness. We have an obligation to live in the spirit, to love and to serve in Jesus' name, and to do what is right, to bring about the shalom, the peace, the flourishing that you want to see here on this earth. Thank you that your mercy and grace is greater than all of our sin. And so God, I'm praying today that we would trust that truth. We would receive your forgiveness and fresh start. And God, by the power of the spirit, we would walk in step with the spirit as children of the light. We bless your name, Father. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our savior. Amen. Amen.